0: Hey, great to have you this morning, Uh, glad you're joining us. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled, By the Book. What we're looking at are the issues that inundate our lives. We decided on three big ones that we see all over the place. Uh, We determined these based on the publications and, and books that are out there on the shelves and on the racks, the big three that tend to dominate our world, sex, money, and power. And so we're trying to figure out what does it look like for us as Christians to handle these things by the book? What does it look like for us to enjoy these good gifts that have been given to us by a good God, but to not make them more important than the giver of the gifts, to not make them gods in and of themselves? So hopefully you're learning a little bit more about how to handle money, sex, and power by the book. This morning we're in part 2 part of the money talk, and so... Um, Hang on, we're gonna talk about some things that might be near and dear to your heart. Let me pray for us real fast, we'll dive into it. Father, thank you for the proclamation that was just made through the songs. Thank you that we did fill this temple with your praise, that there is power in that, God. Hopefully some of us were even encouraged just by those words uh, echoing through our hearts and our ears and our minds, God. We pray that your goodness and your love for us will be evident now through this message and that you'll speak truth. Uh, Make it so, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Not sure if you were here early, but the song uh, the uh, band did a cover song for you. rocked it out. It was totally cool. So I want to continue that this morning. I want to play a little game called Name That Tune. I want to see if you can guess a few of the most famous songs that are out there about money. If you know the name of the artist or the name of the song, just shout it out, and we'll give you a special prize called the Styrofoam Cup. All right, here we go. <laughs> name That Tune. Here's song number one. No, Steve Miller Band. All right, take the money and run. A few of you knew that. Good, good. All right, here's number two. See if you know this. First Service didn't get this one. Let's see if you guys can get this one. You'll see why First I Service swear. didn't get yeah, yeah, yeah. this. <laughs> like the There's a few the heads bobbing in the youth section over here, everybody. All right, anybody know this one? No Money, more Problems, right? Notorious B.I.G., Puff Daddy. All right, good, good. Here about this one. This is an old classic. This is for you who like the classics. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need be fun. Anybody? Want, Come on. I know some of you were jiving back in the day to this in your high school days. Yep. That's what I want. Bear strong. That's what I want. Money. Money, money, money. All right, here's a few other ones for you. See if you can get this one for us. Anybody? Anybody? Do it for, do it for the love. Sam do Smith, it for right? All. Money on my mind. All right, that one. You guys failed. Ouch. All right, last hope. This one you got to get. This is this is the money one right here, and I say that pun intended. Come on, Pink Floyd. All right, play a little bit of this, Johnny. Let's just look at this. John was in the back doing this in first time. get away. All right, it doesn't come as a surprise, right, to many of you that uh, a lot of songs out there deal with money. Uh, what might come as a big surprise to you, though, is to learn that a lot of Jesus' teachings deal with money. Because, in fact, they do. One our, uh, author said one-sixth of his teachings, in fact, along with one-third of his parables, deal directly with money and financial issues, and you know what it is, because when you become a Christian, you're not just saying, I want Jesus to be this little part of my life right here, and I'm going to do life my way over here. No, you're saying, I want Jesus to be the, the center of my life, the entirety of my life, and I want him to change and impact the way I handle my finances, the way that I have sex, the way that I talk about this, or the way that I deal with my kids or my aging parents. You want Jesus to be over and in all of that. And he realizes that money is at the center of many of our worlds and many of our lives, and so he had to talk a lot about it. But as we looked at last week, the things that he said about money, they go against what nearly everybody else says about it. I mean, it goes against, it's contradictory to the commercials and the advertisements and the pop-ups that are all over the place. The things that Jesus believed to be true about money are not the things that most of us believe to be true. Let me, let me walk you through a little activity to prove that point. A friend of mine, Rick, actually first shared this idea, and it makes a powerful point. I want to share it with you now. Imagine that two people from our church come to you over the next couple of days looking for advice on money. How would you respond to these two individuals? The first is a widow. She's a younger woman whose husband recently passed away. She's now raising the three kids all on her own. She's having a tough time making ends meet. She comes to you and says this, you know, I'm barely making it right now. The social security check and the life insurance policy, they didn't pay out as much as we had hoped for. If it wasn't for the church and the power of one, I don't think I would have made last month's rent. And speaking of rent, I've only got $300 in my bank account right now and rent is due in a couple of weeks. I don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it. But, but Pastor Thomas just asked the church to give to some young adults who were going on a year-long mission trip and, and it's on my heart to give to them. I think I'm going to drain my account. I'm going to take all 300 bucks out and I'm going to give it to the missionaries. What do you think? How many of you would say something like, are you nuts? God knows you're poor. He knows what you've been through and that you're barely making it right now. He doesn't expect anything from you. Keep your money, pay your expenses. You don't have to give anything. It'd be crazy if you did. A few hours later, someone else from the church comes by. This time it's a successful business person. He or she says this to you, hey, man, you know that company that wanted to buy me out? Yeah, well, it's a done deal. And they gave me way more than I even thought. You are looking at one wealthy individual. In fact, I don't have to work another day in my life. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go play every famous golf course in the world. Shoot, I'm going to go buy a second home and a season pass up at Vale. I'm going to live it up and just enjoy it. In response to that guy, how many of you would say, wow, man, God has really blessed you, my friend. Have fun. Enjoy the life of leisure. You deserve it. You've, you've earned it. You're lucky. I wish that would happen to me. Now, you realize, don't you, that if you said those things to those two people, you would be giving them the opposite, exact opposite wisdom and advice that Jesus would have given to them. Because You see, one day, Jesus actually did see a, a poor widow woman who was totally down and out. She had no money in her bank account. And what she did have, she drained and she gave it to the church. The last two coins that she owned, the last two things that were in her possession, and she gave them away to the Lord. And upon seeing this woman give all she had to the church, Jesus said, you need to be like her. He commended her and made her an example for others. And then he actually saw a young man who retired early because he was so filthy rich. He had to buy more and more storage units to hold all of his stuff. But Jesus looked at him and said, that man's a fool because he's bankrupt spiritually. You see, what Jesus believed to be true about money is not what most of us believe to be true about money. He taught money in such a different and dramatically so way. And I think it's because he realized how dangerous it was. For some reason, he had insight into the dangers of money. Look at Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You see, he says the human heart has a tendency to want to worship other things, to want to bow down and honor other things. So he says you can't serve two things at the same time. You can't have God and something else. And just in case you're wondering what that something else might be, what that something else could be, he goes on to say this. You cannot serve both God and money. That other thing, that other God, that other idol that Jesus called a God-like figure, a master in your life, the only time he ever used that language was when he was talking about money. He never called anything else by those titles. According to Jesus, money is unique because it has a unique power to control you, coerce you. If you're not careful, it can totally wreak havoc in your life. Now, money's not the problem. We said this last week. Money itself is what we call amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's just, a, it's just a product that you use. It's just a currency, a trade to buy and sell different things. But here's the problem, First Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not about the money. It's about your love of the money. It's the burning desire to make more money. It's a sense of security you feel when you have enough money saved up. It's that excitement you get when you spend lots of money. That's what we're talking about here. And that thing, that hunger, that passion, that drive for money, to spend it or even to save it, that can control you you can end up worshiping it. And when you worship that little God, what happens to the big God is that he falls by the wayside because there cannot be two gods on the throne of your heart at one point. And the only way to dethrone this God, the only way to put this little money God in its proper place, the only way to make sure you're not worshiping money and serving it as your master, the only way I've ever found is to give. You give. You see, the God of money wants you to take he wants you to make, he wants you to spend, and he wants you to hoard. And when you do those things, you're exalting him up as your master. But as soon as you give, suddenly that little G-God of money is dethroned, and all of his power is gone. So I want to talk about what that looks like this morning. Now, when you go to the doctor to get an exam, they poke and prod and pull and push on different things, and if at some point during the exam all of a sudden you're like, Ow! That hurt! That hurt! Well, the doctor knows there's a problem there, right? He knows where it's supposed to hurt and where it's not supposed to hurt. And if he's touching a certain part of you and it hurts there and it's not supposed to, he says, that's where the problem is. Now, I'm here to tell you, church, that when we're talking about money and we're talking about giving, if it hurts there, I think the great physician would come to you and say, it's not supposed to hurt there. And if it does hurt there, we've got a problem. According to Paul, Jesus said it as plainly as he could. It's more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But you wouldn't know that to be true, even though Jesus said it based upon his followers. Christ said it, but Christians don't do it. I mean, today's percentages of what Christians give, it's pathetic, but but that is... In such stark contrast to the early church, Acts 2 says this, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God. They were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You ever heard the phrase, you give until it hurts? The early church didn't give until it hurt. They gave until every need was met. That's an incredible standard, is it not? They gave jeerfully. That's joyfully and cheerfully together, called jeerfully. I want our church to give jeerfully from now on. Great, I have no clue what that means. They gave with glad and sincere hearts, and their generosity gave them the unique opportunity to change lives for all of eternity. I'm going to say it again. Their generosity... Gave them a unique opportunity to change lives for all of eternity. So, what's the difference? I mean, where's the disconnect? How is that early church known for how much it gave versus today's church that really all they care about is how much they grow? What we're concerned about growing and gaining, we're not really defined or marked or obsessed with how much we're giving. Why is that? Why is today's church so different than the first church and the early church? I think there's a misunderstanding. I think there's a disconnect, and we've got to deal with that this morning. There are two questions that I think we are answering incorrectly, and that's why we're having the problem being like the first church. The two questions are these. Why should I give, and how much should I give? And the way you answer these two questions, I kid you not, is the foundation for all of your finances. If you want to know how to handle your finances by the book, then you answer these two questions by the book, and everything else will fall into place. So let's talk about these. Let's answer them. When it comes to why, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This passage is really where we're going to camp for a while. It says so much. Let me give you a little context here. The Apostle Paul is going around the different cities, different churches, raising money for poor Christians. And the poorest of the poor, believe it or not, are actually in Jerusalem. These Christians are being uh, beaten and bloodied and, and kicked out of their homes. A lot of these Christians are living on the street for their faith. So the apostle Paul is trying to raise money through all the different churches in the area to support these Jerusalem Christians. You with me? Got the context? Right now he's asking the church in Corinth to give. It's not the first church he's asked to give. He asked a bunch of churches in Macedonia to give and this is what Paul says about the whole thing. And now, brothers and sisters in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. And since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we've kindled in you, excel now in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul's asking for money for the Jerusalem Christians. He's asking the church in Corinth, and he talks about the church in Macedonia. You with me? There's a lot of stuff going on there, but you got to get the context here. And he says, Corinth, when I asked the churches in Macedonia, churches who were extremely poor, by the way, they gave it all up. They gave it all away. When they heard of a need in Jerusalem, they willingly and sacrificially gave all their stuff. And now I want you to do just the same. I want you to be just like that. And I think Paul would say the same to us. Wes Bowles, I want you to be just like the church in Macedonia, and here's why. Two reasons why giving is so important. One, giving is the primary way we show we've been changed by the grace of God. Giving is one of the primary ways we show we've been changed by the grace of God. Do you notice how many times in that passage, nine verses, how many times grace, the word grace appeared? Five or six, depending on the translation. Why is that? Well, it seems as if grace and giving go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. In fact, grace is the foundation for generosity. When you've been changed by grace, then you're going to be a generous person. When there is amazing grace, there will be amazing generosity. The two go hand in hand, and if you struggle to do the latter, it's because you haven't fully fathomed the first, the former. Verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you want to talk about grace? Well, I'll show you grace. I'll define grace for you. Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so through his poverty you might become rich. We've all heard stories, most likely, of rags to riches, Right, someone who's poor and, and totally um, helpless, striking it rich, being well off all of a sudden. Story of rags to riches. Well, the story of Christianity, the story of Jesus, is the opposite. It's the story of riches to rags. See, Jesus went from being wrapped in the glory of heaven to being wrapped in a dirty, swaddling cloth. He went from being clothed in majesty to being clothed with a blood-stained robe. He went from being in the company of angels to being in the company of domesticated animals. And then later in his life, in the company of demonized assailants. He went from being heralded and praised to hated and put on a cross. That's what it means to be rich and yet to become poor for our sake. The story of Christ is truly the story of the king who gives up all the pleasures and comforts and joys of the palace to go shovel dirt in the sewers to help the people. It's the story of the PhD who's made a great name for himself, but he leaves the accolades of the academic world to go serve a mentally handicapped person who will never even know his name. It's the one who had it all, giving it all up to serve the least of these. You with me? That's grace, And that's the story of Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. The most powerful being in all creation emptied himself, humbled himself, sacrificed himself. He gave it all up and he gave it all away. You know, your sin, the mistakes that you've made in life, the stupid things you've done, the selfish things you've done, the things you've thought, the things you've acted on, all of that is called your poverty. And that makes you spiritually bankrupt. Every time we mess up, it's as if we're taking out loans against God and your loan against God was greater than our national debt, believe it or not. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You were poor, the poorest of the poor. And Jesus, the king himself, the one who owns all possessions, the one whose who's earth, it says, is his, he said, I'll pay your debt for you. I will take your place. I will take on your poverty. That's grace, guys. That's grace. And it gets even better than that. Of all the things, right, let me say it differently. All the things that he then gave up for us, he turned right around and then gave to us. All the things he gave up for us, he then turns right around and gives to us. So it's not only that he takes on our condition, our poverty, but he in turn gives us his riches. He gives us a personal, intimate relationship with God. He makes it so that our mistakes and our past and our regrets, they no longer define us or control us. He makes it so that the power of heaven now resides in us and all the resources of the Father are available to us. He made it so that death no longer wins and the grave is no longer your final resting place. He took his riches and he gave them to you. You with me? I need a Gatorade or something. It's getting hot up here. Though he was rich, though he was God, though he had it all, though he was being praised in the heavens by the angels, he gave up his riches to take on our poverty so he could make us rich. And once you understand what you have in Christ, it changes the way you see all the riches, right? Once you understand how rich you are in Jesus, it changes how you see and handle and spend all other riches, You see, church, you can tell me that you believe a lot of things to be true about God. You can can say, oh, I like what so-and-so says about God, and I believe what that book is, and I like this conference and this speaker, all these thoughts about God. Yeah, it's your generosity that truly reflects your theology. You can tell me what you think about God all day long. It's how you give. It's when you give. It's to whom you give that really tells me what you think is true about God. We can have debates and talks all day long about who God is. But when I see you open up your checkbook, when I see you take money out to give, I know you're serious about God. I know you believe certain things to be true. Let me say that about God. See, a grace-filled Christian doesn't say or ask, do I have to? A grace-filled Christian says, Jesus didn't have to, but he did for me. Jesus paid it all, all to thee I owe we just saying it. Do you believe it? So giving is one of the primary ways that we show that we've been changed by the grace of God. But giving is also one of the primary ways that we partner in the work of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 again with me, verses 3 through 5. Paul says this, I testify they gave as much as they were able. Shoot, they gave beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. As a pastor, verse 4, the one there in the middle blows my mind. They pleaded for the privilege of giving. I have never been in a church where someone has pleaded with me to give more money. Please, pastor, please take my money. Please, here's my wallet. Here's some cash. Here's my credit cards. Here's the security code. Here's a blank check. Please, pastor, just go help people. Go, go, get out. What are you still doing here? I've never had anybody plead with me to give more. It's been the other way around, but here Paul says that church pleaded to participate in the work of God because that's exactly what you do when you give. See, the early Christians understood something about their money. Our money is no good if we don't do anything good with it. I mean, what good is your money if you don't do good with it? That's the question you have to answer. When it comes to money, most of us don't plan far enough ahead. I'm sure some of us are thinking about next month's mortgage. That's good. Some of us are probably thinking about next year's trip. That that sounds like fun. Some of us are thinking about paying for college or saving up for retirement. And even though some of those things are maybe 50 years away for you, you're not thinking out far enough. You're still too short-sighted. See, according to Jesus, he'd make the worst like personal investor ever. You have two investment opportunities in this world, earth or eternity. That's it. You can either invest on the earth or you can invest in eternity. And if you spend all your money investing on the earth, I love this slide, then you're actually the worst investor on the earth, especially in light of all the things that we talked about last week. See, I don't care how good of a return you're getting on your IRA or your 401k or your mutual fund, nothing is going to give you a bigger payout than investing in heaven itself. Do you understand me? Jesus says you can invest in earth, treasures on the earth or treasures in heaven. There's no in between. You're either investing in one or you're gonna be investing in the other. And you invest in the other when you give. When you give to the church, when you give to nonprofits, when you support ministries, you are investing in heaven. See, so we don't give so we can get a tax break. We give so we partner with God to break down spiritual strongholds. We don't give to get a tax break, we give so we can break into hurting lives, so we can break the cycle of generational sin and poverty and abuse and neglect. You with me? That's why we give. Take away the tax break, I don't care. I'm not giving it to get that kind of break, I'm doing it to partner with God to break down all kinds of other things. That's why I give. And it was true in Paul's day and it's still true in our day. When we give, we literally partner with the God of the universe to do good. Let me dream out loud with you just for a second. I'm so grateful, church, for the way that you have given over the last year or so. When I first came in, we we came in with some debt. We came in with some bad financial decisions that put us behind a little bit. But right now, we're we're making it. We're making it. And thanks to you, for a long time, this church wasn't making it. But right now, we're making it. Church, I don't want to just make it. I want to do so much more than just make it. I want to partner with God to be missional. Making it and being missional are so different. I have so many kingdom ideas and, and hopes and dreams for this place. Let's start off with this there are three major high schools within like five miles of West Bowles. We're talking six to 8,000 teens many of whom are lost. They don't know the hope of the Lord. They're coming from broken families, messed up backgrounds. We're trying to reach 8,000 teens with two guys. Now, those two guys are awesome, but they ain't gonna reach 8,000 people. They need help. Ryan and Nathan, not Nathan, Nathan and David need a lot of help. Ryan needs help too, but for other reasons. Nathan and David need help. They need help reaching teens, counseling teens, discipling teens. We could do that if we started to give generously. On that note, I'm so frustrated with myself that that I'm a pastor of a church that doesn't have a campus minister on all the different campuses in the area. Arapahoe Community College, Metro, Red Rocks Community College, Colorado Christian. Why don't we have missionaries there? Why don't we have staffers there? Because the college campus is the most untapped, underutilized mission field in all of America. They're searching for truth, and we're not there to give it to them, church. Why not? I mean, I'm just getting started. Y'all, last week, Char had 120 little ones downstairs in junior church. 120 kids. They're doing their own buy the book series, but don't worry, it's not sex, money, and power. If they're talking about that, they didn't hear it from us, okay? I swear. They're doing things that inundate their life, friendship, parents, all that kind of stuff. But 120 kids down there, Shar needs some help. The Lord is sending so many new young families to us so we don't have the resources to bless them or to serve them in all the ways that I want to. Plus, we have 8,000, church, 8,000 square feet of unfinished space right next door to us. The third story of the GP. It's the most incredible office space in all of Littleton. But you know what it is right now? It's a giant storage shed because we don't have the money to finish it out. But what if we did? What if we could use money to finish that space to make it a 12 month discipleship training program, a school of ministry for teens in a gap year? What if we made it a nonprofit center where we're housing all these amazing groups that are doing amazing things in this world? What if in that space there was a group building wells in third world countries? What if in that space we were working with guys who were freeing women from sex trafficking? What if in that space it was, it was a local group that was serving and blessing uh, families with special needs? That is happening, that this collaborative workspace and work environment, it's happening all over the place. Why isn't it happening right here, right now? It could. Are you with me? It could. And I want it to, church. I've got good news and bad news, church. The good news is, here at West Bowls, we have all the money that we need to move forward with all of those kingdom advancements. The bad news, it's still in your bank account. We got all the money we need. You just haven't given it yet. And that brings us to the second question that we have to answer in this conversation. How much? I know what some of you are thinking right now. Okay, Pastor Thomas, you're making a strong argument, getting all sweaty and crazy up there, talking about giving. You want to talk turkey? Let's talk turkey. How much? How much are we talking about? And although I could preach an entire sermon series on that one question. Let me try to do it in five minutes. Two men, two men ended up stranded on a deserted island one day. One man is in absolute panic, just screaming out, we're going to die, we're going to die. The other guy's over underneath one of the palm trees, just hands behind his head, feet up, totally relaxed. The anxious and afraid guy says, what are you doing, man? Why aren't you panicking right now? Why aren't you totally freaking out? The other man says, friend, I don't think you know this about me, but I make $10 million a year. And the anxious guy says, Big deal. Your money does you no good here. We're going to die. We're going to die. The other guy says, no, no, I I don't think you heard me right. I make $10 million a year, and I tithe. My pastor is going to find me. You see, back in the Old Testament, God expected and commanded something called a tithe. A tithe is 10%. The first 10% of your income. Back then it included uh, grains as well as animals, but it also included your finances. There are several places in the scripture, Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 14, where the tithe is spoken of. Here's why I think the Lord gave us that number and kind of gave us this command. There's a saying out there that goes like this, if you want the Lord to bless something, you need to put him first in that something. If you want the Lord to bless your marriage, then you gotta put him first in your marriage. If you want to bless your family, you got to put them first in your family. If you want them to bless your finances and your work, you got to put them first in those things as well. And that's what the tithe does. The tithe says, God, I trust you, which is funny. That's what our money literally says, doesn't it? In God we trust. I don't want the money to say it. I want how you give it away to say it. You can put it on your money all day long and still hoard it and not believe God's going to take care of you. So I want us to say it through how we're giving. And so the Lord says, if you give me the first tenth, you are somehow demonstrating to me that I am the Lord over ten tenths. Malachi 3 speaks to how upset God is when we don't do this. He's so pleased and so honored when we do. He is so happy when his people give this 10% and honor him in this way, but the opposite is also true. Malachi 3. Will a mere mortal rob God? (laughs) ha. You're robbing me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, Lord? His response, in tithes and offerings. You see, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, there won't be enough room to store it. There is only one other place in all of Scripture where that phrase, the floodgates of heaven, appears. you know where it is? The flood. The flood of Noah. When he sent some rain down, he didn't just send a little drizzle, he sent the floodgates of heaven. That's the kind of blessing he wants to put on his people. He wants to bless us big time. But our lack of giving, our refusal to give him that first tenth, the full tithe, shows that we're not ready or mature enough to handle the other ten tenths. Simply put, our refusal to give him more is why he refuses to give us more. That's what Malachi is saying. But some would say, well, we aren't supposed to tithe anymore. Tithing is an Old Testament command. It's for those under the law of Moses. We're under the law of grace. This is no longer a, a command or requirement for us. We don't have to do the 10% thing anymore. I'm so glad you just brought that up. Are we supposed to tithe today? Definitely, definitely. Here's why. First of all, Jesus said so. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites. You give a tenth, you tithe your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, your stuff, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So those things are more important than your stuff, but you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He doesn't say, forget the tithe and just be merciful. He says, be merciful, that's what matters to me. But don't neglect the other issue of how you're spending your money. So should we still tithe? Well, Jesus thought so. Case closed, right? Well, just in case you aren't fully convinced, let me give you a couple of other reasons. The first is this, tithing precedes the law of Moses. This is not just an Old Testament law thing. We read about God's people being faithful and tithing long before it was a command in the law. The first example is Abraham. 400 years before the law of Moses, Abraham is giving a tithe to Melchizedek in a a way to honor the Lord. He just kind of came up with that number out of nowhere, but the Lord was so pleased with that number. It seems as if tithing and walking with the Lord have been part of each other for a very, very long time. We read it in Jacob, there's stuff in Joseph. It's before the law of Moses ever came around. But here's a more important reason for tithing. Every example in scripture is that those who were given life through the cross always gave more than those who never knew about the cross. Let me say it another way. Those who were looking this way towards the cross, like hoping for the cross, gave a certain amount. But those who lived after the cross always gave exponentially more. Why? Because the cross changes things, does it not? The cross is a com- completely re-educates us in terms of what is right and best about money. Tithing is hardly ever mentioned in the New Testament. Do you know why? Because they blow that number out of the water. It's hardly ever mentioned because it's a given. Of course we would do that. That's the least we would do. 10%. Are you kidding me? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I think too many people are using this Old Testament law thing, this legalistic number thing, as an excuse to just not honor God with their finances. You're just not putting them first, and you're trying to make it sound like it's because of grace. Well, actually, grace does the opposite. Grace makes you plead with the pastor to give more. So you're right, you're right. In the New Testament, there's not a specific dollar amount. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I believe in that, and I want you to decide. But I want to be honest with you, I think tithing is the baseline. I think tithing is the starting point for all of us. Someone asked me after first service, and I was wrestling with whether or not to answer this. I've got a few minutes. Well, how does that break down? Like, what does that look like? Is that pre-tax? Is that post-tax? Listen, Listen, listen. The big question, though, is is it a full 10% to the church, or is it like church plus compassion plus Caleb plus my, you know, my friends' kids who are out in Africa? I would say yes, yes, and yes. There are some arguments that say the full 10% should be given to the storehouse, which is known as the church. And then your offerings should be given to other people outside of that. Others would say if a believer is giving 10% away to the Lord's work, then that full 10% is still an honor and a joy to the Lord. So I'm not going to say yes or no. Obviously, I'd like for you to do the full 10 to the church, and then other. but anyway. You can't go wrong. You just need to start with 10 and just start figuring out how to make it happen. Let me share some numbers with you real fast. This is just to honor Nathan. I thought he'd get a kick out of this. The average household income here in Jefferson County is $63,000. Average household income is bringing that. So based upon the number of families that we, here have, that we have here at West Bowls, multiply it by that number, divide it by the tithe, all that stuff. If we were a tithing church, we would bring in over $3 million a year. That means that our budget would almost triple overnight. If we were a tithing church, if we were at the baseline, and then if you, started, if you people started pleading with me and just throwing cash at me, whew, what could we do then? Now, again, I know this sounds weird, especially if you're not a believer, because one of the, one of the knocks in the church is always they're just always after my money. All I care about is my money. Well, we don't really talk about it a whole lot in this space, so you came on a day that we are. I'm not going to apologize for that. But, again, it's because we want Jesus to change every part of our life, not just to be like the spiritual part. We want him to change every part. And a big part of our life is how we spend money, isn't it? A big part of our life is making money or thinking about money or doing something with money. And so we've got to figure out what Jesus says about it. So there are a lot of songs out there that talk about and deal with money. But you only need to be in tune with one person when it comes to this issue, and that's Jesus Christ. If you will sing his song when it comes to money, overwhelmed by grace, defined by giving, you'll be handling your money by the book. Let me pray out of here. God, we thank you for your wisdom on this subject matter, and we hope that we will take your words to heart this morning, God. When Jesus said that, that it's easy for us to worship and bow down to another master, and then he talked about that master being money, he was, he was bringing something to our attention that we need to pay a, a real close attention to. Money has a real unique power over us, God, an ability to define us and coerce us and motivate us. And so we pray not that we will forget all about money, but that we will do money by the book, that we'll honor you with our money, Father. And the way that we do that is we just are overwhelmed by grace. When grace is what defines us, when we understand that Jesus, though he was rich for our sake, became poor so that we in him might become rich, when that becomes our mantra, when we understand who we are in Jesus, uh, everything else will fall into place. And I do pray, Lord, that we'll continue to honor you through the tithe, that grace will define us, but also giving will define us, and that 10% will define this church. You want to do so many things in Littleton, in this community, in this town, and we want to do them too, Father God. It's going to take resources, though. And so we ask that this church would step up. Would you put on each of our hearts this week um, to to give you more, Father, to honor you with our first 10. Please make it so. Bless this church now and help us moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we're serious enough about this particular topic. I'm gonna have the ushers on the way out hand you guys a card. It's an anonymous card. It's just called the step-up card. We don't want your name on there. We just want you to take this card. And this week, we want you to think about this card and pray over this card. The first line on the card says, I currently give this much to the church. I just want you to spend some time thinking about what, what do you give to this church, if anything. Not to make you feel bad, just to just give you a starting point. And the next three lines say this, I will move towards tithing. Like I'm not ready yet. I can't do that yet, but I will move towards it. I want to give this much. The next one is I will start to tithe. I will go home, take my income, divide it by 10. I will start to give that. Tell us what that is. And the other one is I want to blow tithing out the water. I want to plead with you to do more, and I want to give more. So they're going to hand those cards out to you. Again, don't feel guilty. Don't feel weird about this. Your name's not on there. But what I want you to do is take that card, fill it out for me, pray over that thing, and then bring it back the next couple of weeks. Throw those in the offering plate. Take them to the welcome center. Put them in the the give one boxes. We just want to challenge you, church. If I didn't challenge you in this way, I would not be a good pastor. Not because my salary is connected to it. Because this this is an opportunity for great blessing for you. This is a discipline and a habit and a spiritual uh, technique, if you will, that, that the Lord says will strengthen you. So I want to give you this opportunity. So take those cards home, think about them, pray about them, fill them out and bring them back to us, all right? Have an amazing day. God bless you guys. Be strong and courageous. Take care.